Well, hello and welcome to episode number 481 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos, and in this week's pack show, Emirates is spending a few quid. One airline says goodbye to the 737, and is the latest business class menu just all a bit rough? In the military, Armando's talks to us about the Navy's P-8 Poseidon that went swimming in Hall. And joining me across the village this week, as always, in the PTUK studios, frantically popping everything into the system ready for the show this evening, it's Matt Smith. Do you know, I, 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 was, I, I sort of took a moment back there. I, 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 I think I misheard you as part of your introduction there. <laughs> what was that place name again? <laughs> Puff. Pardon? Well, it's Horf, Horf, Hor, Hor, it's called Hor. Yeah, well, that's, that's what I how? Or how? <laughs> I don't know. We Lovely. are the, we are the We're off to a great start, as you can tell. The, the pronunciation <laughs> podcast of the world. <laughs> oh, it's nice to know, even with Nev not being here, the standards are still at their usual high levels. <laughs> as always, as always. ha! <laughs> And uh, while the music plays there, mellowing in the background, uh, we can just say that uh, this week we have no Nev. Unfortunately, Nev is not with us on the show this week. He is, uh, he's, I think he's flying back at the moment, Matt, or is he on his way back? Fl- he's, fl- he's flown somewhere. I can't place. remember what I had for lunch, let alone what happened last oh, week. I know, <laughs> I know. But uh, I'm sure Nev will be back next week to regale us of stories of, well, you know, Bad stuff happening Flop on flying. the airlines. Yeah. Flying, yes. Uh, and Armando is not with us this week as well, but he has got for us a couple of great military stories later on in the show, uh, so make sure you stay tuned for that. But back with us this week it is, of course, the super sub of super subs. He's the man who knows very much about a certain brand of aircraft. That is Airbus. It is, of course, Andy. You mean you mean the Hello fucker, again. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, the fucker's one of my favourite aircraft. Yes, especially that... the, the the ninety and the one hundred. Oh, very the good. The seventy, uh, not so bad. But yeah, I do like fucker <laughs> aircraft. But I do yeah. prefer Airbus generally. Yeah. Hello again. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Andy. I see you're in your home pub, surrounded by festive decorations. Yes, yes. For those on the. Uh, on the video, they can say there's lights up there. There's Whee! everything going on here. Got to keep the daughter happy. She's only little, yeah. and the dog. Yeah, absolutely. H- have you have you got? I'm guessing you've you've obviously got the chocolate advent calendars ready for uh, the little one for when December the first yeah. kicks off. Yes, that's true. And the dog's got one this year. I've decided oh. not to do an advent calendar because normally I do one like a beer or a gin. Yeah. That, that means I'm that means I'm drinking 24 gins. Or 24 beers. I'm like, that's not good for you. So I'm not bothering this year. I beg your pardon. <laughs> I'm not bothering. This is someone oh, who has wow. got his own home pub. It's because he's got his own pub, you see. That's what yeah. I can just pop yeah, down yeah. here for a, for yeah. a drink if I fancy yeah. it. Indeed, indeed. I've got an advent calendar, by the way. I bet you can't guess in a million years what my advent calendar contains. <laughs> uh, is it, is it mango-flavoured beer, that stuff that you're drinking now? 
There's nothing wrong with what I'm drinking now. It's a very, very nice bit. Excuse me. I'll have you know, it's from our local brewery, literally up the road from where me and Carlos work. Literally, as in he spent most of the afternoon in there. The because, glorious be, be, ampersand because, brewery. Because his job is ridiculously cool. Uh, and uh, it is a gorgeous ghost, mango and lime. And I know it sounds horrible, but it's absolutely dish- delicious. I have to say, it's more on the lime than the uh, than the mango. mango. But for me, yeah. that is definitely out there. Definitely well, I'll, love t- that. I'll take your word for it. On that note, uh, these um, these checks are piling up now that you guys haven't paid. I'm not going to come back anymore. <laughs> oh, <so. my> word. <laughs> I know. Lovely. I'll okay. see HR about that. Yeah, I should. Yeah, Thank absolutely. You. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> 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 yeah. Anyway, we have got another super sub joining us on the show this evening, and uh, we haven't had him on the show for a long while. But every week, near too enough, long. He's, too long. he's always keeping an eye on things in the chat room with his blue spanner of doom. It's everyone's favourite uncle. It is, of course, our main man, Uncle Micah. Hello, boys and girls. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. And, uh, you know, Nev's going to be very, very upset because the show is going straight to heck right from now. But uh, <laughs> right from now on. But but I'll be here and do my best and, and try to be the gentleman that, that Sir Nev is. No, Nobody tell him that we started late, by the way, all right? No, Nobody God, no. tell him. <laughs> He's in the chat room, guys. Oh, you're just... What? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, dear. Uh, oh. More letters from HR imminent. Yeah. <laughs> so how, how are things, Michael? What's uh, what's been going on in the world of uh, Maine? But things are just wonderful. It's so we had a beautiful Thanksgiving here in the states yesterday, and uh, I uh, ended up instead of having turkey, I got called up by some friends and said, "Let's go out for curry." What could be a better Thanksgiving than that? A little chicken tikka masala and some appetizers and all that great stuff the last time i had curry i think was with you guys so oh yes it was great yeah yeah absolutely and then uh last week i got to meet with our good friend pasadena brian coleman i was down in tampa flew down there with breeze airways uh, and i have to say that breeze it's a brand new airline started by david nealon the same man that brought us azul and jet blue and uh it's a fabulous airline it's an all a220 fleet the c series bombardier c series and um anyway they they flew me down i have to say it was on them but it, it doesn't change my opinion the service was marvelous uh nev was kind enough to give me his seat i was in 1a oh, and it was absolutely a fabulous time great pilots wonderful flight crew uh and they also liked the chocolate i brought them uh. and the other thing i have to say because he's in the chat room is i wore this hat especially for jonathan warner yeah, I must say, Mike, uh, Mr. Warner, is um, he has commented in the chat room that he says that that hat is seriously cool, Mike. <laughs> One of my favorite airplanes, but I have so many favorite airplanes I could go on and on. Don't you? Anyway, thanks for having me. I well, great to have you on. Great to have you on. Now we've got loads of news stories to get through this week, but uh, first we're going to have a quick look in the chat room to see who's joined us tonight. Kicking off, Lee Davies is already in there. He's uh, on the beer this evening, as always. Good to see that, Lee. Uh, Mazus, our local listener, Mazus. Great to see you in there this week as well. We've got Richard Adams. Hello to Richard Adams. He's also got a pint in hand as well. Well, according to the chat room, anyway. Uh, Andy Wilson sounds like a great character. Never heard uh, hobby time is also in there. Good to see you as well. 
Uh, let me scroll down. We've got uh, Richard. Uh, Mr. Flags also in there. Great to see you in there, Richard. Uh, be good to meet up with you at some point here in the UK. Uh, Lee Davies, obviously there. And uh, we scroll and make sure I don't mention Captain Cruise. Uh, Jenny, the lovely Jenny in Rome. Great to see you in there, Jenny. I hope it's warmer where you are, Jenny, because we have dipped. It's seriously warmer. dipped down to f less than five degrees Celsius here tonight. It's very cold indeed. Uh, Neville Bounds is in there. I mean, if oh, he's in the no. chat room, honestly. I'm in uh, Owen's in the chat room. Love to see Owen in there. We haven't seen Owen in there for a long while. Great to see you, Owen, as well. Um, let me scroll down, make sure I don't miss anyone out. Obviously, our main man, Mike, has got the blue span of doom in there, keeping an eye on everyone. Uh, Jonathan Warner, he's busy in there, probably editing about 6,000 million pictures he's taken this week or the last weekend of... Uh, Bombers flying. And who else have we got here? Make sure I don't miss anyone like frantically scrolling down here. No, I think we've got everyone in there. And thanks to everyone for joining us tonight. Don't forget, if you're listening to our lovely voices on the audio podcast, check us out on YouTube every Friday night here, 7 o'clock on a Friday night. We're on YouTube. Just search for Playing Talking UK. Don't forget to click that subscribe and bell icon as well. Give us a like while you're there. We would love to... Uh, Oh, we'd love to have you following the show. That'd be great. So we've got a book giveaway as well this week coming oh, up later on in the show. We have got a great little book here. Missed that memo. <laughs> called Ask the Pilot, which is what you can do tonight because we've got a fully-fledged pilot in our, our guest uh, chat. So, oh, I didn't realise you'd done your licence. Well done. Well, well done, Andy. <laughs> oh, Everyone's going to be asking Andy the question. Oh, Ask the good. pilot. Yeah. It says everything you need to know about air travel. So, yeah. That, uh, that's a great book. I have read it. I have a copy of it. I have talked to the author. We had him as a guest on the Airplane Geeks. Very Patrick nice guy. Smith. Yes. And Patrick Smith also has a column called Ask the Pilot Online, and I highly recommend it. Yeah, great little books. We're going to be giving that away later on the show. But Matt and all the team, if we're all ready, should we do some commercial news? Ooh, one yeah. moment, caller. Please hold. Your call uh, is very important to us. Here we go. So, kicking off this week's first news story on simpleflying.com, and uh, this particular story we were privy to, I'm very happy to say that we knew about this before, uh, well, before before it happened to me, Matt, we got, um, we were privy to the information about this particular event happening uh, here in the UK uh, last week. But uh, the headline on this one was British Airways A320 intercepted by Royal Air Force typhoons, but it wasn't an emergency. Yes. So if you weren't able to uh, hear PTUK last week, don't worry, we have an explanation. On Friday evening, uh, November the 17th, a BA A320neo registration Golf Tango Tango November Bravo departed London Heathrow uh, under the call sign Chariot. Uh, the aircraft was flying as part of a multi-agency response training programme. Royal Air Force Typhoons from the QRA, or Quick Reaction Team, were scrambled from RAF Coningsby, call signs Wolf 11 and Wolf 12, with tail numbers Z, uh, Zulu Kilo 311 and Zulu Kilo 304. Um, 
As the 320 uh, Neo headed towards Norfolk, yay, near us, uh, the Roaring Jets made a beeline for the simulated emergency target. After visual confirming the target, they took up escort positions off the airliner's wings. The aircraft was guided back towards London Heathrow, where it landed approximately two hours later. And once it landed, specialist units from the Met Police uh, met the aircraft and responded to the simulation, with the exercise designed to test skills of police officers and staff from different units, including hostage negotiators, investigators, firearms officers who boarded the 160-seater plane. Uh, now, officers worked in close conjunction with Heathrow's and their colleagues at NATS and the Royal Air Force National Air and Space Operations Centre to coordinate both the planning of the exercise and the response. Early the evening, the team behind the Heathrow Runways X account posted an announcement alluding to potential disruptions from the events to come. They said that Heathrow is taking part in a planned exercise this evening involving government and industry partners. Residents may notice some additional noise at the airport related to the aircraft involved in the exercise, and they apologised for any inconvenience. Now, whilst this was all happening, uh, I know both me and Nev were um, watching this unfold on flight radar 24 uh let's through the screenshots there from flight radar 24 showing the path it took there uh, from heathrow up towards colchester ipswich over the coast at great yarmouth on our east coast here in the uk and then back inland and that was obviously when the tour uh, the typhoons uh obviously came down from coningsby and flew round and then intercepted the aircraft and it was quite interesting to see actually how these aircraft literally stuck with the uh, the 320 for the whole time and they stuck with the 320 right until the aircraft landed at Heathrow and then continued to circle Heathrow airport uh, for a little while after but also one thing as well I noticed as well Andy which um you, you'd appreciate as well being a 320 pilot was the fact that if you track this aircraft as I did on on the flight radar, uh, flight radar 24 it literally stuck perfectly to 21,000 feet for the entire duration of that flight. That's good. Well, it's over a short area as well. So mm. normally on flight radar, when you see it, it blipping on the levels, that's because they're changing. Even though we fly at flight levels, um, <clears throat> the, 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 perfectly at 21,000 feet. Oh, okay. your your I think your signal went a bit funny there, or was it just me? Yeah, I think I think I think we're we're having a, a couple of I think it's coming back slowly. I'm pleased to say. There yes, we go. I think he's back now. Hello. But no, it's, it, it was quite, it was quite entertaining to see. I think um, for those I mean who've seen this in the past, when it's actually been in happened for real, which thankfully is not very often. But it was nice to um, as an, an as an aviation geek to obviously find out about this you know prior to it happening and to be able to track the aircraft um, and follow you know follow it happening live on the so, uh, app. So okay, so for, forgive my my naive question here and. I guess I'm going to fire this at Andy purely because of his background, so apologies for that. But I mean, they're following the, um, they're, they're, you know, essentially these aircraft are being followed with, you know, you know, sort of like typhoons or was it typhoons, whatever they were, fighters, yep, typhoons. Yeah, typhoons. Yeah. I mean, I mean, is there literally potential where they would? 
possibly shoot it down. I mean, what are they do? What what, well, what not is in an their exercise. role? Well, no, not in an exercise. <laughs> but say, let's let's say it was real. I mean, what is the purpose of the fighters following them? Well, it, it's to guide it to where they wanted to go. Which right. in the UK, there's I think Prestwick Stansted. and Stansted that are the two designated places for incidents happening, such yeah. as this uh, exercise practice. Um, but but say I I, but say but, it refused to do that. I mean, is there a potential? Based on the situation, yes, yes it did, the yes. aircraft would be shot down. Wow. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, because you don't. Well, well think think of nine eleven. Do you mm. want that to happen again? No, 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 no. Okay. Of not, but it's very it's very difficult decision to make to lose. So say an A three twenty, a hundred and eighty lives plus the crew. Yeah. But it could be a lot worse. So yes, yeah. the answer is yes. It would be shot down. And where would that? And again, this, this is my, this is where where my naivety certainly of of these particular aircraft. I mean, aircraft. I mean, where would they potentially be intercepted from? Would it be in British airspace, or would there? Is there yes, like from a, the. Well, if if this happened over France, then it would be intercepted in France. Because right. if the loss comes in in the UK, then yes, because normally it's a loss of comms that causes an interception or a specific squawk code right. um, and then they would be intercepted there's a set of internationally recognized um, aircraft movements from the intercepted aircraft that give signals to so if you are a pilot flying it and something's just gone wrong normally it's a case of they do I'm not going to say what they are but they, they do certain maneuvers and flashlights in certain ways to basically go follow me and in that case, if if it is a genuine problem, then you go, okay, we'll follow that aircraft and they'll lead you to the, the airport they want you to go to. Right. Okay. And yeah. let's uh, talk about 9-11 for a moment. There was uh, a pilot that took off to uh, to take care of those aircraft or to intercept some aircraft, not sure exactly what she was going to do. And it turned out, uh, you know, they, they were not armed. The aircraft were not armed on the ground. And she had said that had there been a situation, she would have had to ram the aircraft to get it down and kill herself in the process. But sometimes these things need to take place. If you think about the 9-11 situation, if there was the other aircraft or another aircraft that they realized it was going to go someplace, it's better to take down the aircraft than let it destroy another tower or the Pentagon or whatever it is. And if you want to watch something that's actually very realistic, I don't know how many of you guys saw the uh, Idris Elba uh, series, Hijack, yes. that was on, uh, I think it was on Apple TV here in the States, very accurate in terms of how they they handled that uh, it got a little crazy toward the last couple of <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, last couple of parts of it but but very accurate in terms of of, of how things are are looked at and, and how it's done and, and and i highly recommend it it was a very good show yeah i enjoyed that as well um and micah that was a good little series but like you said it did get a little bit theatrical at the end of the series right. i'm surprised but, you've not seen that andy actually that that series it's on my list of things to watch. I just, I just haven't had time. Mm. The other Actually, thing I was, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, carry on, Micah. The other thing I was going to say is, um, we, um, we know someone that was on that flight, and I don't know if he or she is allowed to speak of it uh, now that it's all over. But uh, now that it is, perhaps we could invite him or her to be a guest on the show and talk about what it was like and what happened. 
Indeed. Carlos, that's clearly your next mission. I, I shall yeah. I shall endeavour to reach out to said person, yes. Lovely. Well, you've got a, sto yes. you've got a story to... You, you've got a whole story to do that. Get involved. Off you go. Oh, no. uh, while go. you're doing that, I'll take the next story. Yes, uh, Matt, you've, you've have got the next story, and this is one I was quite interested in, actually, because for me, this is a tech question, and you are the ideal guy for a tech question. Okay, all right. I doubt that somehow, especially when it comes to this sort of thing, but we'll give it a go. Um, it it's uh, Runway Girl Network is the source for this one. And the headline is free in-flight Wi-Fi model gains traction in commercial aviation. Panasonic Avionics, early year prediction that the aviation industry would widely adopt free Wi-Fi by decade's end is materialising. An increased number of airlines are introducing or planning to offer complimentary onboard internet. Uh, uh, Vistara has... Uh, announced that its loyalty program members will now receive unlimited texting on uh, connected flights, joining several carriers extending free messaging, including Lufthansa, on its short-haul route. Delta Airlines has linked free internet access to its loyalty program, and Singapore Airlines began uh, uh, providing complimentary unlimited Wi-Fi to its Chris Flyer members. Non-members can also enjoy this benefit by signing up for the membership. Malaysia Airlines has removed data caps uh, offering unlimited free Wi-Fi to all passengers since November with a phased rollout planned for narrowbody aircraft. Panasonic Avionics um, has expressed pleasure in uh, collaborating with Malaysia Airlines to provide this service. Panasonic has also upgraded its network, including a new high-throughput modem and improved network settings, promising a 50% capacity increase by the year's end. This enhancement is expected to benefit customers of various airlines, including Japan Airlines, JetBlue, Qantas, Azul, and Porter Airlines. Budget airlines are adopting freemium models. <laughs> <laughs> uh, utilizing lower cost low, lower cost systems for free messaging I'm sorry I hate it when words get made up it really annoys me uh, complimenting offers from telecom companies providing free in-flight Wi-Fi to their subscribers um, now you you had obviously you were out in the states not so long ago I was, Matt, yep, and you absolutely. you were privy obviously to the Wi-Fi on board your American Airlines flight because you're on a triple you're on a triple seven. I was, and I, I think I remember you saying you were quite um, shocked at how good. Yeah, so uh, f first things first, there was no free model. There was no free minutes or anything like that at all. So um, if you wanted to use it, you had to pay for it. Um, and I think if my memory serves, and I only did it because of the sheer novelty factor, and unlike everybody else in this room and in the chat room and listening to this podcast, I hate being on an aircraft. So... Anything other than looking out of the window, I need, I, I'm happier doing that. Um, so I didn't bother going out there, to be honest with you, uh, mainly because I didn't like do it before we took off. So I couldn't get... It, 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 there's this weird fault basically like because I needed to be able to get I didn't have my card like in my pocket. Obviously, it's in my, all the details I need are in my online banking app. But because I, I didn't have 
access to the internet, if you like, until I'd done it. I was unable to retrieve the details I needed to be able to do it. So I remembered when coming home to then retrieve the details while I was on the aircraft before we took off so that I could get that all sorted out and then away we went. Um, so I did it. I was very surprised at how good it was. It was around about five meg down and around about five meg up, but it was pretty solid and it didn't drop uh, at all uh, during my entire flight. I had... And what were, your, what were your thoughts on the pricing though, Matt? Uh, so it was $30, which I thought was quite a lot. Um, mm. But it's still, even to someone like me, it still melts my mind, if you see what I mean, that I can be essentially, um, you know, travelling over the water and having reasonably fast sort of Wi-Fi, if you like, in... Um, no, in... I've got some thoughts on this. Yeah. The, it's a revenue stream for airlines. So firstly, yeah. I mean, we all, we all grew up in a world before the internet and Wi-Fi, but now it, it is sort of a necessity in everyday life. So I get that people, like when I go on a flight, uh, I want nothing to do with the outside world. I just want to be locked away and just relax. Well, it's a perfect time. In the modern world, you don't get much time just to be completely isolated, which is nice. Yeah. Um, but some people do want to have access or be able to do Teams meetings and stuff like that. And most of the airlines that are offering it, especially long-haul airlines, they've all got the SATCOM system that they use for communications anyway, so it's just another channel on that. So it's not it's probably not really costing them that much. So I do think that it's overpriced because they're using it as a revenue stream and they should bring the price down for those that want to use it. I mean, well, not... Not necessarily uh, in the revenue stream. Now, granted, when I flew out to you guys for 400 I did pay for it, and it was actually very inexpensive on United uh, because I could have bought it for a month for $55 and had it any place I flew during that month, Or, but I just did it for the two flights, and it wasn't too bad. It was about $20 each way. But right now, with my mobile carrier, which happens to be T-Mobile, I get free Wi-Fi on any aircraft that I fly, with the mobile carrier, and I'm just paying $55 a month for all my unlimited data, unlimited talk, unlimited text, and that's part of what's included. Um, so well, that's it, brilliant. Great, that's the way it should be. Right, and it, it's a great deal, and it's available to me on on, on all the the three big American carriers, United, Delta, and uh, and American, if they offer uh, the Wi-Fi on board, uh, and I think also Alaska Airlines, um, and that's the way it definitely should be. But the the other thing, I, two other things I wanted to point out um, is that one of the things that you may not be aware of is that generally the internet speed in the UK is very, very slow compared to what we get in the USA. Uh, and I, I'm not, I'm not you know, disparaging it. I'm just saying that it's a much slower speed. So five up and five down is incredibly slow because when I get my internet on my phone normally, it's about 30 down and 30 up, and I have the slow speed here uh, for that on my phone. I have, uh, I have to say that certainly uh, that I, I, I agree with you in some way, Micah, that... Uh, Sorry, we're getting slightly off topic here, I suppose. But I, I agree with you in in some ways. There is a problem here in the UK in terms of fast, publicly available Wi-Fi. But actually where, where myself and Carlos are, I mean, I suppose... I mean, I would say on average here in the UK, most people would expect in their homes something around about the 13 meg down, 5 up. And that's fairly standard across the UK. Um, right. 
Now, and what's I'd... standard here is 100 down and 20 up. Good heavens, right. Okay, fair yeah. enough. So <laughs> the, the, the last thing I wanted to say yeah. is that we're talking Wi-Fi, but we mean Internet because there's been Wi-Fi in the planes for a long time yes, without true. Internet yeah. connectivity. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm, I'm going to give a plug if, if I'm allowed. But, you know, Brian and I do a, a separate podcast called The Journey is the Reward. And on episode 48, we had a guest on, uh, Roger Sands, who's the CEO of a company called Wibot that installs Wi-Fi on aircraft. And if you want to hear a conversation on what that is really all about and the difference between Wi-Fi and Internet and the difficulties of putting that through, it was very detailed and we had a lot of fun with him. Mm, indeed, indeed. Uh, uh, whilst, I mean, you've been, whilst you've been on that, I've just done a speed test and I'm glad to say I've got 150 down and here we go, it's just going to finish. Uh, 150 down and 62 up. Well, not too bad. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we've got... Uh, I, I, so just to sort of finish off where I was going, at, it was really quite nice, as I say, uh, because I'm not interested in staring out the window. And I, I did it purely because... So, um, uh, as many of you know, Carlos and I are involved in a, a radio project um, and the uh, breakfast DJ is a very good friend of ours and... There is still something that that's quite magical about being what was I thirty seven and a half thousand yeah feet, you're, I think, yeah I think you're point. about thirty seven yeah yeah and I, and I was listening to my local radio station on my phone through my Bluetooth headphones in glorious stereo, and it did blip. To be fair, it blipped for about half a second twice. And to be fair, that could have been my phone rather than um, the actual connection that it had. And it, it, it still it still just made me smile, the fact that I'm sat in this aircraft. I'm... I mean, the internet's an amazing thing is, anyway, isn't it? I mean, Micah, you, you've tuned in to both myself and Carlos, like, across the pond, and it's like, you know, in glorious stereo, you know. This... I love listening to you guys. It's absolutely and it... wonderful. And I, and I had a similar experience. I was on the plane. I was over the Atlantic, and I'm using, you know, Wi-Fi internet, and the phone rang. I, <laughs> I, I had it shut off, but it rang. It was my doctor's office making an appointment for me. I got wow. yelled at by the flight attendant. It's like, I got to go. I'm on an airplane now. Yeah. Of course, because it's yeah, because it's the of course the old uh, the Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi calling, calling and stuff yeah. would still sort of function. Anyway, uh, I mean, I'm just, th- there is a I'm, lot to be said for Andy's argument, though. Let's be honest. Like, I agree. Oh, I, I'm the anomaly here. At the end of the day, I I I, I do flying under great distress and or disdain. Um, because it means I can go and see very nice people. So don't, you know, I I know it's a, you know, it's the lesser of two evils, if you see what I mean. Just but. just for a bit of context about UK speeds, I'm just l- literally looking at the list of all of the ones I've done over the past six months yeah. on my phone, and it averages around 400 on 5G down That's and around bad. 35 up. So, yeah, you, yeah it's getting better That's in great. the UK. Yeah, it's getting it's there. It is improving, better. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about. Anyway, else. Andy, yeah. you've got Andy's got the next story. Um, yes. On there. Yeah. Once I find it. Here we go. Uh, and this is from theage.com.au. Mid-air collision between two Viper S211s. Uh, unfortunately, two people have died after a mid-air collision between two Viper 2S11s happened in Port Phillip Bay, Melbourne, Australia. Stephen Gale, a pilot, engineer, inventor and aspiring filmmaker, and James Rose, a talented cameraman and drone operator, were on board one of two light Viper S211 Marchetti planes conducting a formation flight that concluded, sorry, that collided mid-air about 
1.45pm on Sunday. Victoria Police have located the wreckage of uh, both aircraft and returned them safely to... Sorry. Victoria Police have located the wreckage of Victor Hotel Delta Zulu Juliet. The other aircraft, Victor Hotel Delta uh, Quebec Juliet, returned safely to Essendon Airport. Gail, who has served in the RAAF and was the owner of the two jets, was the brains behind the proposed documentary series called Jet School. This envisioned documentary was to capture the journey of student pilots, each from diverse professional spheres, as they embarked on the challenging transition from flying light aircraft to handling the more demanding controls of a fighter jet. Uh, novice pilots included in the series uh, included engineer Dr. Gillian Kennedy, maxiofacial surgeon, that's a t tricky word, Dr. Nu Destoran and the project panellist Tommy Little. Well, I don't know who any of those people are, but it's very tragic that uh, this has happened. Yeah, I was, um, we actually heard from Grant McCarran from the Playing Crazy Down Under podcast this week, and uh, he flew with Stephen in, in the S-211 uh, a few years back. I think it was, about, uh, it was either 2018 or 2019, um, uh, Grant said. And he also did commentary for him at air shows and chatted to him quite a few times at various air shows over in Australia. So, yeah, I think it hit the community quite hard over in, in Australia. Mm. It's always uh, awful when stuff like this happens. And uh, I don't know quite why there's an SAS Boeing 737 on the screen, but oh, okay. that's, that's coming up soon. <laughs> Next up, Micah, you've got uh, the story about, uh, well, we, we've had these in the past a few times, but uh, we haven't had one for a while. And it's, it's, a diff it's a change from having the usual collisions on the taxiways. We've got, um, well, this is a different one, Micah. Yeah, this one I think would be titled, Whoops, um, and it's <laughs> LATAM A320 attempts to land at the wrong airport. Oops. So on Tuesday, November 14th, a 16-year-old LATAM Airbus A320 with the registration code PR-MHM was scheduled to operate as flight LA4640, the short 260-mile domestic flight from San Paolo to San Jose do Rio Pesto. Preto, rather. Uh, however, you, you, there's a map there, and it sort of took an unusual path. While on approach to uh, San Jose do Rio Preto, uh, the pilots reported a GPS mismatch, and that means that the info on the GPS didn't match what they were expecting to see. So the pilots informed the San Jose air traffic controllers that they were beginning their RNAV approach procedures uh, to the airport. And that's, you know, the RNAV stands for area navigation. And it's a type of approach procedure using instruments. So given the distance from the airport, the San Jose air traffic controller told the pilots to contact the approach frequency. However, the crew didn't do that and instead called the San Jose air traffic controller again, informing them that they were doing a 360 degree turn to descend and lose altitude. The controller again told the pilots to contact the approach frequency, but the pilots declined, stating they were busy with the approach and had the airport in sight. But it turns out 
They were approaching a completely wrong airport. They were actually lining up to land at Cantanduva Aerodrome, located in a completely different city. And furthermore, the airports were lining up at they were lining up at was only a small GA airport and not a commercial airport. And while the runway of their intended destination was 5,380 feet long, the runway they were lining up on was 3,232 feet long. And the two airports are 60 kilometers apart. So at this point, the air traffic controller advised them that they were approaching the wrong airport at an altitude of 1,000 feet AGL. And the pilot, pilots initiated a go-around and flew to the correct airport where it landed without further incident about 15 minutes later. I mean, wow. Whoops. I mean, I mean the thing that's... So sort of alarming here, I suppose, is because it's obviously a very small airport. Of course, that's the the issue there. I mean, goodness only knows what would happened if they had actually have landed there. Um, I mean, I don't think they'd have got it out, would they, with the runway that short? Andy, you are the resident 320 pilot. And he's on mute. <laughs> I'm, I'm back. Yes, sorry, it's using this web browser version. How short did it say the runway was again? Uh, 3,280 okay. feet, I think. Yeah, 3,232. Oh, what's, what's that in real money? I don't work in feet, but that is short. Um, so so the, the destination one is 5,000. meters. Yeah, the, the destination <laughs> one is 5,381, basically, feet. I'm just converting it. Sorry. Yeah, lovely. I think the problem was Dion Warwick wasn't on the airplane because she would have asked the pilots, do you know the way to San Jose? Well, quite. <laughs> okay, yeah. There, there, is, there is absolutely no chance you would get that back out again. That's uh, 985 metres. Ooh. <laughs> right, yeah. okay. Yeah. And, and you need, even if you're empty with a, a thimble uh, All of, of the people, seats ooh. out? <laughs> and all, yeah. You're still looking at... You can stop one in 1,700 metres, so you need roughly the same minimum, really. Absolute minimum. Wow. Yeah. That, yeah, that, that wouldn't be getting out no, again. No, indeed. Uh, nor would it be landing safely, I suspect. I think it might have been a... They might run out of runway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you, could, you couldn't stop in that distance. So, you, no. you, yeah, you, you would go over the runway. I do like that the, the airports were 60 kilometres apart as well. Mm. That is a big, big difference. Mm-hmm. I mean, what? So, I mean, what's got? What has gone wrong here? Essentially, I mean, how? How is this? You know, you can sort of understand perhaps if you're in like some, you know, if you're in smaller aircraft with where perhaps I don't know. Am I using the right well, term? Where you're doing an instrument only landing and that kind of thing? I mean, there's, there's something called confirmation bias. Have you heard of that? No. So that's where you, in your head, you're going. This is definitely right. I'm 100 yeah. percent right. This is definitely right. So yeah. they've gone. When they've looked at the GPS and it isn't matching, they're going, oh, there must be the aircraft. There's a technical error here, right. which it says in the story. So that's confirmation bias. They've gone, no, I'm definitely right. I've got this correct. And then when air traffic control have gone, uh, what's happened? That's when they've gone, oh, no. Oops. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So the, work, the workload here and the situational awareness both are through the roof. So as with anything, um, when you're really busy, you have, your, your your brain automatically sheds stuff. Yeah. Do you know, out of curiosity, Matt, do you know what the first thing to go is when you're overloaded? Um, the power of speech, in my case, usually, but, uh, yeah. Well, it, <laughs> it's hearing. You you stop hearing things. Yeah. You completely stop listening to anything. Right. Um, 
but in this case, they've they finally got the point where they actually listened and realised yeah. that it was in it was wrong. wrong. But I mean, I mean, I mean, we're very lucky that something more serious didn't happen here. I guess also, I mean, there could have because it's a smaller aircraft. Um, you know, you're relying very heavily on the on the on the people in the smaller aircraft to sort of. I mean, I guess you would struggle to miss a huge aircraft coming in to land at your tiny little airstrip. Uh, yeah, but, uh, I mean, well, this it kind could of have thing happens. Gone. Gone. I'm sorry, this kind of thing happens, you know, semi regularly. If you remember, about ten years ago, a C-17 Globemaster uh, that was headed to uh, McDill in near Tampa, Florida, ended up landing at this small General Aviation Airport, uh, uh, I think Peter yeah. O'Knight Airport, and the runway there was only about three thousand feet, and it, it, the runway has the same heading. It was they were both had uh, runway four or 2-2, and so they just lined up on the wrong airport, and they landed, and fortunately the C-17 can land on a short mm -hmm. runway and just had to apply maximum braking, was able to get out of there. But it, it, it does happen when you get overloaded, like Andy was saying, and uh, just thank God they didn't land right then at that one. Oh, that, yeah. that might not have worked out well. No, I mean, it, it would have certainly been an event when they landed and probably gone out on a low loader in many bits, I suspect. Uh <laughs> I mean, no, normally when you're talking about two runways on the same head, they, they normally co-located or close to each other. There's mm. uh, Catania down in Sicily. There's a military base to the south of there that's only 10 miles tops away um, that are both on the same uh, runway heading. But the, the 37 miles apart, I do I struggle with this one. That, that's quite a distance. I mean, it, I mean, it is and it isn't, though, is it? I mean, 37, what did you say, 37 well, miles? I mean, yeah, how fast you, you, you going, would, I You would do yeah. that very, very quickly in an aircraft. Um, if you're slowing down on approach, no. Okay. Not really. No, all right. But okay. it, it is a big big distance but it'd be interesting to see what actually comes out from this mm. that is the that is the only thing with a lot of these stories carlos and i don't know if you've noticed this we yeah get the, we get the initial story and then you never hear anything else afterwards you, you know what I mean? yeah you the, you tend to find that with the reports if they make it to aviation herald which most of them do to be fair yeah. um simon's good on that on the site on the aviation herald because he tends to update the stories when up, new yeah. information comes mm. to light in that respect with these sorts of stories that you do tend to find that you kind of get left in the in the dark slightly. lost in well, the ether, there's a special episode for you to do in the future go back and find a load of these stories that you've done and then do what ha what was the oh, what next, oh yeah. god i hope i hope john isn't listening to the tell <laughs> that's not too much work is it I, i'm i'm still i'm still looking forward to the conclusion of the story of the 320 that's currently parked in a field well oh, it's yeah. currently fenced in as well mm, i saw those fences yeah there's a fence around it a couple of caravans as well um so I don't know if people are living there just gardening at the moment, but I'll be very interested to see how that turns out. In my opinion, probably not great. I, did I hear a rumour that they were planning to fly out of there? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. W were they on glue at the time of making that decision? or? <laughs> well, they, they don't have many airframes, and with all the sanctions... Uh, that they, they need to try and do something. Ah, rubbish. Producer John was listening. <laughs> no, he wasn't. He said, I'm probably... sure between myself and Nick, we can do that. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway. Thanks, Carlos. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that's Andy, not me. Yeah, I'm blaming you, though. It's easier to blame you. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, moving swiftly on. Next one is um, from aerotime.aero. And uh, sad news for... Uh, 
lovers of the Dash 700 variant of the oh, uh, 737. So, sorry to interrupt. Apparently, they're waiting for it uh, to let the field ice is over. Apparently, that's what they're oh, waiting right, for yes. before they fly it out. There you go. Yeah, Andy's yeah. face is an absolute picture. Oh. <laughs> Honestly, that's going to be one of our biggest stories for the show when that eventually happens. Yeah, I, I can see. So, yeah. yeah. Right. You're going out there live, Carlos? Are you? Yeah. I'll, I'll give it a go. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, SAS operates uh, their last Boeing 737 passenger flight was the big news this week uh, in Europe. Having operated the type since 1993, my word, that's a few years, um, Scandinavian Airlines has retired their Boeing 737 from regular passenger service. November the 19th, 2023, the last commercial passenger service using a 737 flew from Stockholm, Arlanda Airport to Oslo Gardermoen Airport. I guess that's how you pronounce it, Andy. You'd know better than me. Uh, the flight was operated using a Boeing 737-700 registered Le uh, Lima November Romeo Romeo Bravo. Uh, also flew, uh, overflew Copenhagen as well as part of its route. The final flight, which was full of passengers who had brought special tickets to be part of the occasion back in September, carried the unique flight number SK737. Marking the occasion in style as the flight proceeded towards its destination, the crew drew a 700 symbol in the sky to represent the variant of the popular twin jet operating the final flight. Uh, the airline has uh, used over 100 different 737s over the course of its uh, last 30 years, including the uh, Dash 400, Dash 500, Dash 600, the 700, and lastly, the very popular Dash 800. The airline is gradually retiring its 737 fleet over the years, having decided to replace them with products from uh, Airbus with 320s, which it currently <laughs> currently has 87 in its short-haul fleet, alongside its A319s, four of those, A320s, 18 of those, and 61 A320neos and four A321s, and the A and A321neos as well, three of those, the uh, A321LR, I think that means on their neos. Uh, the airline also operates the 330-300, and the 350 as well as the mainstays of their long-haul fleet. On regional services, the carrier uses the ATR-72-600 plus the Bombardier CRJ-900 jet. However, despite the final 737 commercial passenger flight, it should be noted that SAS has not entirely said goodbye to the illustrious 737 forever. It will continue to operate a sole example registration Lima November Romeo Papa Juliet on behalf of Norwegian military under a contract that expires next year. The retirement of the last 737 from commercial passenger service allows SAS to focus on aircraft from just one manufacturer in its mainline fleet. The fleet commonality will assist the airline's team as it claws its way back from bankruptcy protection resulting from spiralling costs and the drop-off in traffic due to the pandemic. The airline recently reported that investors had agreed to invest $1.21 million dollars in cash injection to the airline to shore up its finances well i'll need that if they're buying all these new airbus aircraft won't they but to be interesting to find out what happens um to these dash 700s um whether they'll be convert uh, freight, uh, freight converted or sent over to um st athen to be cut up or even the us i suppose to uh, sit uh, in the desert <laughs> 
And it, yeah. I don't think the 700 has much life in it as a cargo uh, dog. The 800 does. Mm. They seem to be doing a lot of conversions on the 800. Uh, but did you see the video from the flight deck of this little flyby over Copenhagen? It was beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's, it's on YouTube. Yeah, I should have got that. Yeah. Yeah. From, a, from, from a training perspective and operation, it was so well executed and very calm. And they knew exactly what they're doing. It, it was beautiful. Really good job. I've got a question for, for you, Andy. Um, yeah. You know, it, it makes sense to me that, you know, like Southwest is all 737, so any pilot can get in any aircraft. And with the Airbus, you know, the A319 through the 321s, it's um, any pilot, can, you know, you're type certified for all of them. How does that work with the 330 and the 350? Or are they similar type ratings? Do you need special training? Can you fly, jump from one of the A320 families to the A330 or A350 family? So the the A320 family, like you say, that's one class rating. Then the A330 and 350 are technically the same rating with the difference as training. I don't know how it works in in uh, the States, but in, in Europe, you could only fly, if you're going to cross fleet, you could do the 330 and the 350, or you could do the 320 family and the 330 or the 320 family and the 350. You couldn't fly all three types at the same time, if that makes sense. It, it does do, make sense in terms of the rule. Why is that? Because of basically the, there's, there's too many differences between the three. It's acceptable to have differences. So... You do in Airbus. You do what's called a cross-crew qualification course, a CCQ, because they all operate under the same principles, and technically they're all meant to handle the same as well, regardless of the size, because it's fly-by-wire. But because the differences are too great between the 330 and the 350, you could only operate either one of those plus gotcha. the A320 or those two at the same time. I mean, actually, between them, and the, the flight deck layout as well, between the 320 and the 330, there's very little in it. The 350 is a new beast. It's a new proper modern jet. So, again, there's the ergonomical differences there. So it's okay to be cross-trained between two different types, but when you add the third type, that's when it starts to get yeah, confusing yeah, and you need yeah. different type rate. Got you. De definitely in Europe, yeah. yeah I don't know about you. the rest of the world. Would you fancy um, moving on in the future, Andy, to, to the bigger Airbus products, or are you happy with the, the 320? To me, it's all about distance. Yeah. And I like flying, but flying's flying. Um, and <laughs> at the end of the day, I don't want to spend 12, 13 <laughs> hours sat in the seat going in one direction. I'm happy doing the short hops. Yeah. I mean, it would be fun I mean, we... to do a few circuits and handle it and give it a go, but nah. Well, and of course, it's not something you can just immediately hop into an aircraft and do, is it? There'd be months and months and months, nay, possibly years of uh, special training in order for you to fly fly that to just have a go at doing it maybe two or three times. It's just well, not, you know. <laughs> well, like I say, if, if I went from the Airbus to the 20 now to the 330, it's like a five, six-week course, if that. Yeah. And that's it. And okay. then I could go fly it. 
and you could go flying. Yeah, but I mean, you, and I, I, I think we've spoken about this before. But I mean, do you, you know, some, some pilots, you know, I mean, like, well, I'll use Armando as an example. I'm sure he wouldn't mind. Obviously, he's done lots of, um, all right, admittedly, mostly sort of corporate flying and that kind of thing. But he's flying his uh, little biz jets around and all that. But he. He he loves his GA as well, and you're you're you like it, but it's not it's not your thing, is it? No, no, I don't have the time. And you're not alone or... in that, I should say as well. I mean, obviously, friend of the show, Captain Nick. I mean, it's like he almost couldn't give up flying fast enough. Do you know what I mean? It was just like sort of yeah. And I, I, he he's done it. You know, he's had a little couple of GA flights, but thoroughly enjoyed it only as a passenger. Has no desire at the moment. Certainly from the conversations I've had with him, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn. He has no desire to sit in the cockpit and fly an aircraft. It doesn't seem but... to have the pleasure. Uh, it's almost like, you know, the the career, if you like, killed the enjoyment of flying almost. Yeah, well, and the difference from Armando is because the work he does, um, it, it, it's not it's not like the work when, when I was on the line where it's five days in a row of potentially four flights a day, just bam, 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 then you don't want to spend your days off bumbling around. And as well, the airspace is very different in America. There's loads of open room to go fly out there, GA, in the UK, it's very constrained. The last thing you want to do is stress. Well, as you had when Al was on the show, the yeah. guy who went went into um, it was it Heathrow's airspace or somebody's. Yes, it it it's too much for me. It's too much of a faff and hassle. I'm I'm happy to do my job as an airline captain, and then on my days off, just do something else. Do something else, like like go to the pub. Uh- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, and it, and it's also much less expensive to fly GA over here than it is over there. Very you know, true. Terms, oh, yeah. If, if yeah. Only yeah. for the price of petrol, but but for everything yeah. else as well. Yeah, indeed, indeed. That's the thing, isn't it? I, I do think that's maybe why GA hasn't got the following that, that it does in the US, is I think purely and simply just because of the sheer cost. I mean, it's, it's eye-watering, isn't it? There's no two ways about it. Anyway, we oh, could yeah. go on and on and on and on. We probably shouldn't. About the cost of things, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, yeah. Matt, no, you've got let's the next not, story. Sorry, let's not open that can of worms. Hey, Andy. <laughs> let's, let's, let's go hypersonic with this next story, Matt. Indeed. Okay. It's a Strato launch completes fueled taxi test ahead of first hypersonic flight. Uh, FlightGlobal.com is the source for this one. US hypersonic development from Strato launch has taken another step forward. The first powered flight of its uh, Talon A vehicle. Uh, the Mojave. Calif- is it Mojave? Moj? 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 I don't know. M-O- oh, Mojave, sorry, Mojave, Mojave Desert. Mojave. Mojave Desert. Oh, the Mojave. I, I, Mojave. For some reason, I expect to see an H. My sincere apologies. <laughs> uh, the Mojave uh, California-based company on the 21st of November completed taxi testing of its two aircraft. Captive Carry hypersonic flight system for the first time with Talon A loaded with live propellant. Uh, Strata launch confirmed the milestone stone later that day. The company hopes to achieve the first powered flight 
flight of Talon A before the end of 2023. However, a company official tells Flight Global that schedule will be depend that schedule will be dependent upon the results of data collected during the latest taxi test. If that review finds no issue, Strata Launch will attempt to reach hypersonic speed generally defined as Mach 5 during the first Talon flight. The company also completed a successful separation test of the system in May, releasing TA-0 uh, from its uh, carry position aboard the Rock while in flight. The company has three such aircraft, either complete or oh, either com either complete or under fabrication, with. Uh, designations TA2, TA3 and TA4. The USAF in October awarded Strata launch funding to support the fabrication and flight of TA3. The twin fuselage all composite overwing design registration November 351 Sierra uh, Lang, uh, Wow, so that, that, that so it tripped my brain up because it sounds like a postcode. Was uh, was created by scale, uh, scaled uh, composites as a purpose-built air launch vehicle for Strata launch. Rock boasts a 117 meter, that's 385 feet wingspan, and is powered by six engines originally developed for the Boeing 747 commercial airframe. Strato Launch says Rock boasts a capacity of 226,800 kilograms or 500,000 pounds. It's, it always amazed me. When you see the pictures of this on, online, and there's a, there is a picture on our show notes here of this launch machine, it's just just the most bizarre looking aircraft I think that that I've seen that is able to actually take to flight and fly. It looks like what happens when a 747 and a P-38 love each other very much. Very, very much. <laughs> in the in the way that a mummy and daddy would love each other, indeed. It's just the yeah. fact you've got you've got two like essentially you've got two flight decks on one on yeah. one aircraft. It's yeah, see that. Yeah, see that makes my brain go all hot and sweaty. I, I mean, I can't, I can't deal with that. <laughs> I mean, would would this be a, a good one, Andy? You could have like you know the FO on one side and you the other side. I mean, it'd be plenty of space. <laughs> it, de it depends who the FO is, really, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, there'd have to be a lot of trust there, certainly. <laughs> well, put the F if it's somebody you don't get along with, put them in the other cockpit and make sure that everything's disconnected. R right. Okay. Well, and it also depends on who had the curry the night before. Oh, yes, cat? definitely. <laughs> but the cap, the captain's always right, isn't it? That's CRM. Of captain's course, right, mate. Goes to that question. Captain's right, mate. Oh, I'd love that. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have to remember that one. Now, Micah, you've got the next story, and uh, I wish Nev was here because I'm sure he'd appreciate this. Oh, I know he would. Um, you see, the food served on planes, this comes to us from the independent.co.uk uh, travel news, and the food served on planes, as you know, doesn't always have the best reputation at the best of times, but even the most iron stomach among passengers might think twice before ordering a mistranslated menu option on a recent flight. You see, there was a photo taken by a passenger on China Eastern Airline, and the plane shows the menu for those flying in business class, which includes beef, seafood, and soup dishes, but one unfortunate English translation has got people talking. 
among the choices for a starter is imported dog food with okra. Yes, I'm going to say that again. Imported dog food with okra. And, you know, I think it's awful that you would be serving okra to somebody. I think that's the most horrible thing about the whole thing. But anyway, almost a thousand people reacted to this Facebook post with hundreds of comments and shares. Uh, Edward Poon asked if it meant the airline was pet friendly, while another person said it was because they treat you as a dog, not a human. That uh, some people said it was the consequences of Google Translate, and uh, somebody joked, "Oh, it must be a hot dog." And uh, anyway, the image was shared on Reddit, and uh, one user picking up on the fact that it was specifically imported dog food. Apparently, economy class, economy class passengers only get the domestic dog food. <laughs> um, it's not clear what dish a translated menu on board the China Eastern flight was referring to. The independent contacted the operator for clarification, but apparently no one responded. Um, but earlier this year, the uh, airline advised customers to opt out of having an in-flight meal, saying that it's the ethical choice. I think they were saying it saves us money, but that's something else. Uh, Japan Airlines was also trialing the JAL ethical choice meal skip option, which enabled passengers to pass on the meal service on certain flights, and they've been doing that since 2020. Uh, the carrier has now made it a permanent option on flight bookings worldwide, emphasizing the sustainability benefits of avoiding a mid-flight lunch. And I think what they're anyway, that's that's a budget thing, but. In a nightmare of in-flight meal scenarios, a business class passenger on a flight to Japan in February ordered a vegan breakfast. And he was kind of amazed that uh, when, when he got that vegan breakfast, it was a single banana and a pair of chopsticks. Huh. And that I'd like to see. But, Matt, you got the picture of this, um, of this lunch menu on the screen there for those of you watching in the world of YouTube. And it, it, it's, it's there. It's different. Appetizer, smoked pepper, beef, vanilla shrimp, imported dog food, and okra. To me, it depends where it's imported from. It's all a matter of how the dog is prepared, from my perspective, yeah. you know. I, I exactly. Raised can make it very, very stringy. Uh, <laughs> I mean, sometimes I open Poppy's sachets of food, and I think, it actually smells quite nice. Oh, really? But I, I wouldn't eat it. I mean, if they brought me a tin of pal... Uh, that was well presented with, you know, a, a bit of herb over the top, a bit of um, parsley over the top and a side salad. Maybe. Yeah, it depends how much I've drank in uh, in the lounge beforehand. Yeah, but, quite a lot, oh, I would imagine. Be good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, why does Monty Python come to mind? Spam, 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 spam. <laughs> no, hey, hey, now you, there is nothing wrong with spam fritters. Big oh, be, spam, lovely. Yeah. To, to be honest with you, it sounds better than the corn dragon born soup that's offered further down. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Owen in the chat room dragon says, fans. if they didn't give a menu, nobody would have ever noticed. <laughs> Probably. Actually <laughs> true. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, dearie me. Yeah, imported dog food. Yeah, um, uh, Richard uh, Adams makes a good point in the chat room. It, it's an emotional support dinner. Oh, no. <laughs> no. It's an ex-emotional support animal, definitely. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, He's dear. also added, by the way, taking the lead with our fine dining aloft. Uh... <laughs> Took me all day to bury the cat. Wasn't quite dead. <laughs> oh. Okay. Anyway, moving oh, wow. on. 
terrible, honestly. Oh, who's, who's this Carlos Stebbings in the chat room here? What is this? You should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> Why? Because he said they must be barking mad to eat it? No, he just said it was a Sounds... rough menu. Uh... <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, moving on with an Airbus-related story, it's Andy. Yes. Once I finally get the size of this text correct, because I've been <laughs> messing, I apologise. Hang on, I'm, cur I'm currently in military. Here we go. Oh. <laughs> uh, Emirates is investing billions in the future of the Airbus A380. Emirates announced at the recently concluded Dubai Airshow that the airline will spend $950 million in new maintenance, repair and overhaul facilities at the Dubai World Central Airport, DWC, roughly 60 kilometres south of Dubai International Airport. Emirates Head of Engineering Ahmed Safa expects that the first phase of the new facility will be ready in the second half of 2027 and it will have eight maintenance hangars and one paint hangar available at DWC. There will also be a facility for engine runs, up to 20 support workshops and warehouse facilities for storing numerous parts. Safa added that at DWC, the airline would eventually have 22 hangars, 20 for maintenance, uh, 2 for painting, apart from 2 engine areas, and once the full scope of the DWC maintenance facilities are constructed. Once ready, Emirates Engineering will move its heavy maintenance work on the A380s and 777s to DWC, while the DXB Engineering Centre will be used for the upkeep of the A350s and 787s, which will start joining the fleet soon. Emirates will also have the 777X aircraft arrive, hopefully in 2025, in their fleet. Uh, currently, Emirates has eight hangars for heavy maintenance and four for lighter checks at the engineering centre at DXB. Many of these are being used for Project Phoenix, the Emirates cabin refresh programme, where Emirates will refurbish the interiors of 67 A380s and 53 Boeing uh, 777 aircraft, apart from adding the premium economy cabin. Emirates run the entire project in-house. It was launched in November 22 and uh, intended to be completed by May 2025. Emirates is only refurbishing the A380s at the moment, having completed work on 16 of them already. The 777 retrofits will go online from July 2024 onwards. While each retrofit was initially expected to take 16 days to complete, Emirates Engineering now has combined the activity with the... Uh, 6-12-year sea checks for the aircraft. Hence, an aircraft stays in the hangar longer while fully ripped apart and reassembled, but with new seat upholstery and the new premium economy seats. Emirates currently has 116 A380s remaining in its fleet and it expects that by the turn of the decade it will have 90 of these still flying. The airline highlighted that the A380 is a product Emirates customers love and the airline is proud of it as well. So it is doing all it can to secure parts for the A380 including taking apart some old aircraft such as uh, Alpha 6 Echo Delta Alpha and using its parts for spares. That is a lot of money. $950 million. Yeah. Phenomenal amount of money. <laughs> I mean, I think when it, when, you, when it boils down to it, I think Emirates is going to be probably one of the last airlines, I think, that will, will you know, be continuously operating the, the 380. I don't know what you think, Andy. Yeah, well, when you think about it, it still feels like a new aircraft, but it's been around for quite... The first flight was in 2005 now. It's coming up 20 years really, since the first one flew. Um, and 
these guys have used them extensively as the main hauler of their fleet and i've been on several of them i've flown i think every class apart from the new premium economy on them and it's just great it's a brilliant product yeah you really like it, it it's it's one of is it one of your favorites um for business class it's getting a bit long in the tooth the economy product is very good uh if the hopefully this refresh on the uh seats on board will make a difference um, but it's such a quiet aircraft, the 380, to sleep on. It, it's a dream. Yeah, I, I, I've flown the Qantas and the Emirates version. I have to say that in economy, when even when you're up against the side of the aircraft, you know, the you know, sit next to the windy, you've got that curvature of the of the aircraft. It's it's very very roomy feel. And as you said, Andy, the Emirates package, you know, um, their economy package is, I think, one of the best economy packages in the you know, airline yeah, the, group. The loudest that, part of the aeroplane, to me, is the flap system. They are so loud. That's that's how quiet the rest of it is. I have heard that the uh, the flight attendants for Emirates don't particularly care for the A380, and I'm wondering if when these reconfiguration, if they're going to do anything to uh, to make that better for the flight attendants, because I think they prefer to work others in the other aircraft in the fleet. Yeah, I've heard that as well, Mike. I know a lot of the uh, flight attendants prefer the triple sevens to the. I, um, I the mean, m my understanding was, and I, I, I may get corrected if I'm wrong. Um, my understanding was actually it was more about not so much the actual aircraft itself. It's more like the galleys where you're working to prepare mm. the food to serve all of these people, the the layout and the space that you have available to deal with these huge volumes of of meals is less than ideal. I think that's the. I think that's okay. more the issue with working it rather than anything else is that it is it's challenging because of how it's been laid out, um, and I, I unfortunately I suspect that the refit that's taking place probably will only have an impact in terms of the actual passenger. Uh, I fear perhaps that it won't necessarily help the poor people who are stuck inside working it. But uh, um, I'm well, sure I will be corrected. Uh, if I am if I am speaking out of turn, but uh, yeah, uh, watch this space. We may get an update shortly. <laughs> but before we move on, nine hundred and fifty million dollars. It's a lot of money, isn't it? That's just such a, it's a big number, isn't it? It's a money. big yeah. number. It's not spare change down the back of the couch money, is it? No, 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 it's, no, no. it's uh, it's planned. It's 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 a planned um, hemorrhaging of money, essentially. <laughs> no, only in the Middle East, hey. Yeah. Anyway, indeed. Moving on, and uh, this comes from Twitter.com. Uh, good news if you live in and around Dublin Airport, because Dublin Airport are potentially going to be improving their areas for people like me, plane spotters. Dublin Airport has said. It's exploring potential options to improve the viewing area available for plane spotters around Dublin Airport. In a post on X, or as I prefer to call it, Twitter, uh, Dublin Airport shared a mock-up of what the facility could look like, saying Dublin Airport is currently exploring potential options to improve viewing options for aircraft spotters around the airport. They said it's a mock-up, and this is potentially what it could look like. For those of you watching in the world of YouTube, you'll see the uh, potential mock-up there. Uh, the mock-up includes a raised area with de uh, designated parking spaces and seating as well. Currently, plane spotters are frequently seen in laybys and raised mounds along sections of the R108 close to southern end of the runway 10 
20, uh, runways 10 and 28. I don't know what to do with that information. <laughs> In a statement, Dublin Airport said more details of any new potential viewing areas would be shared when the time is right. Now, for those of you, and I know Andy has definitely been here, for those of you who may watch the guys over at Airliners Live doing their live feeds there, um, Manchester have got a great little viewing area there uh, with a with a mound or quite a, a high mound where you can actually stand on and watch the aircraft not only land but taxi right in front of you right close up. It's a great little viewing area uh, right next to the hangar there where the Concorde is um, stored. But Andy, I'm guessing you've you've been there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Manchester's got great viewing areas at both ends. So you've got that lovely area with the. Um... With the Concorde and all that at the other end. And then at the other end, the two four end of the room, we've got a pub you can sit in. Massive beer garden. Whee! We get lots of spotters. So oh, um, I love the sound of that. Uh, I, have, uh, yeah. I, I must say, I, I know this is a swear word, but uh, actually, if you're staying in the, um, oh, God, what's it called? The Holiday Inn Express in Luton and you choose the right room, you've got a very, very good view yes. of, the, uh, of the runway actually there. Uh, and if, you, if, you're up, if you're up top, you've got an almost unspoilt, complete view, end-to-end -end of the runway, and you are a, pretty much in the middle. So uh, mm. it is, it is uh, you know, it, it's worth spending a little... The, however, they do know that, by the way, and if you do try to book one of those rooms, funnily enough, they are a little more expensive than the rooms it's, on the it's other the side same of at, the airport. Uh, the other it's side the, the same at the Renaissance, yeah. Matt, as you know, because yeah, you've yeah. stayed there at Heathrow, you know, at, uh, at, at London Heathrow, the Renaissance Hotel, where we had our, our yeah. 300th? Yeah, our 300 show, didn't we, we had there. And they've got rooms there that overlook a really good overlooking view of the, of the main runway at Heathrow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you do pay you do an pay extra couple of quid. Actually, I stayed in an Ibis before I went to the States uh, on the Bath Road there. Um, and I was right at the top. And I have to say, the view from that window was... Uh, mm. Uh, wasn't too bad. Uh, only sport by the fact that the room was so small. It had a small window. That was literally the only, it was just like how how are plane spotters Micah catered for in the US at the larger airports? Is there designated places where aircraft spotters can go, or is it a case of pull up on the side of the road and hope no one moves you along? Here in Portland, we have a plane spotters area. Now it's a small airport, but it's a wonderful designated parking area right next to an FBO. And you can look out on the tarmac and see a lot of GA aircraft right in front of you. And then right across the way is the uh, the terminal and, and the main runway that you're looking at. So it's it's great there. Uh, LAX has a wonderful plane spotters area. And uh, the I think it's the Blue Hotel, which is a Hilton, uh, has a rooms that, that have great views of all of LAX. Uh, there are a number of places through... Uh, throughout the JFK area where you can where you can watch and uh, you were talking about Heathrow uh, uh, on my way back for the 400th I stayed at the Radisson and they have a wonderful view it's on Bath Road I'm pretty sure and it was a wonderful view of the uh, of Heathrow from there and then they don't even know it they didn't charge any more for the room that I was in that uh, that let me watch the runway and it was great I was up all night watching well what would you say Andy is the best um, place for spotting here in the UK the well, I was going to say that the best airport hotel I found for spotting because every room has a view of a runway is the Sheraton at Charles de Gaulle. It's in the middle of Terminal 2 and it's sort of an elliptical shape. So every room either looks at the north runways in the apron or the south runways in the apron. It's pretty good. Oh. And also, if you've got a. If you've got a flight to get, you're in the terminal. 
True. Have you seen True. Charles de Gaulle Airport? Blimey. Yeah, man, have you have you tried you want to try taxiing around it? <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Having flown into there before as a passenger and looked out the window and thought, Oh my god, I've gone back in time to nineteen sixty six. Now imagine sitting in Andy's seat and doing that. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well you, would you also... rather taxi at uh, C D G or Schiphol? Um Schiphol actually, because it's it's easier and more you expect the same taxi route each time. They're very structured there. Whereas in De Gaulle, it's a free-for-all. They do have some routes that they normally use. Then sometimes they just send you off on a random route. And like, oh, okay, where are we going now? And you don't know where you, you know where you're going to end up eventually. But you're like, oh, I wonder, I wonder how this is going to work out. <laughs> can I can I just say, Matt, that the gritting lorry has just gone past? Oh, has it? Oh dear. Yeah. Oh, well, mind you, it did say zero overnight, and yeah. the forecast I gave out this morning. So, uh, well done, WeatherQuest, on that one. Uh, yeah. Anyway, thanks <laughs> everyone yeah, for that. Commercial news uh, is uh, well, that's the last one for the commercial news this week. But moving on to the next part of the show because we're going to run out of time. Otherwise, we've still got military to do. Hey, uh, and Nev's probably in the chat room waiting for the military session to start. Always, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's caption this, our picture we pop on our social medias each week for you to leave your witty comments on. Uh, this week's picture uh, was, uh, again, uh, one for a comment, as definitely. And, um, uh, Micah, if you could uh, possibly comment on what this week's caption this picture uh, shows, if Matt pops it up on the screen. I would be happy to. Um, there's a, a beautiful wing of a jetliner, and there is a uh, a man standing on it with his balancing act as it's high in the air, and he's straightening up and sort of like surfing, doing a surfing safari on the wing. So we had a few little answers in this week, and a kick off this week uh, with uh, John. Uh, John says, uh, Carlos, live karaoke radio show takes to the airwaves. <laughs> now, I'd love to do a karaoke on a wing at, at flight levels like that, because I don't think you'll hear much, to be fair. But um, uh, anyway. Which may be a blessing in disguise, let's be it honest. It could be. Uh, I mean, there are some small issues. There must be special shoes or something, especially at that altitude. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> what would stick to aluminium, I'm not quite sure, but... <laughs> Uh, Matt, do you want the next one? Uh, yeah, okay. Matt Caton says, Strictly come air walking on ITV. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know who are living in the, in the US, uh, Strictly is a dancing show here in the UK, and yeah. ITV is a, reg or a, a regional yeah. television channel. They have Dancing with the Stars. That's the equivalent. Oh, that's it. Dancing with yeah, the Stars, yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, Andy, next one. Yes, this one's from Jenny Parkinson. Come fly with me. Singing at the top of his voice. Oh, that was almost <laughs> in tune. Well done, you. Very proud. Micah. <laughs> well, Gareth T.J. Sturman says, this supergroup salesman really likes to prove a point. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a good point, actually. That's the only way you're going to stick to the aircraft, frankly. Oh, uh, that one. Sean Taylor says, wingman doesn't mean that. <laughs> He's definitely a wingman. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Chris, uh, said, this is a good one. Very, very apt. This one. Uh, Chris says, "A wing and a prayer," Somebody and you definitely then. would need a prayer mm, doing that particular so. act. Yeah. Well, it depends on the brand of superglue you're using. Andy, I mean, what's if, it, uh... if it's Loctite, you might be in luck. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, what's the last one on the list? Yeah, this is from Chris Dobson. Just cloud surfing. Love that. I mean, let's be honest. The view from his position would be quite the view. I'd, I'd be more worried about the frostbite. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, just one, uh, so just a couple from the chat room then, if I may. Uh, Mazus is suggesting that this could be Ryanair's new first class option. Don't, uh, don't, <laughs> And Richard Adams, as you can always rely on, he says, Thai Airlines super economy class. <laughs> and I would have said, let's go surfing now. Everybody's learning how. Come, come on, on a safari, safari with me. Singing together never works on Zoom, does it? We've never <laughs> learned our lesson, have we? Anyway, that is the, the <laughs> caption is for this week. Don't forget to check out the socials on a Wednesday when I'll pop a little picture for you all to leave your witty comments on. And thanks, everyone, for taking part this week uh, on that. So moving on to Nev's favourite part of the show. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yes, Matt, if you want to press the grey button. Indeed, let's do it. Watch up, buggies, 135, 50, Angel 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, is not with us this week, but he has brought us uh, a couple of military stories. And this first one brought to us by Armando is uh, from airlive.net. Hey, everybody. First of all, I want to extend uh, happy holidays, happy Thanksgiving, happy bank holidays, wherever you are in the world. Uh, I hope everybody's getting some time off this weekend and some time to spend with their friends and families if you are able to do so. Um, this first military story is the Navy P-8 Poseidon that everybody saw that overran the runway at Marine Corps Station Kaneohe Bay. Uh, this is on the sort of west north, uh, sorry, the east northeast side of Oahu over in Hawaii. Um, most importantly, everyone is fine, uh, as you would expect from the Navy. They just kind of popped the emergency exits and they swam to shore. They were probably only 75 feet, maybe 100 feet from the shoreline. Um, so good job, Navy, uh, swimming to shore. Uh, what it seems like it happened here is um, probably a weather, a little bit, perhaps a, a crew miscalculation, as well as a potentially a mechanical issue that we don't know about. Obviously, the Navy's going to investigate this. Um, so uh, this particular Marine Corps air station, it's a 7,700 foot runway by 200 feet. It's not particularly uh, short, not particularly long, just kind of right in the middle. Uh, perfectly capable for this air for this aircraft. P-8 is based on uh, 737. Um, there is the the way uh, Kaneohe Bay sits. It's actually got some pretty steep rising terrain down to the southwest of the air of the airfield. Therefore, there are no instrument approaches coming in from the southwest. There is a circling approach, but that's actually pretty tight considering that the mountains are you know less than about three miles away. Um, so, the actual only instrument approach into Kaneohe Bay is uh, runway two two. That is coming from the ocean side. Uh, that is the approach that these guys were doing. The visibility was fairly low. Um, it was raining. It was gusty. Um, now, from what I understand, I'm not a 737 guy, but this version of the 737 or the P-8 actually has a 15-knot tailwind limit. Uh, most jet aircraft have like a 10-knot tailwind, but uh, some of these newer aircraft and more modern aircraft, upwards of 15, maybe even more than that. Um, so crosswind, uh, sorry, tailwind component, um, was probably right there on the edge. A lot of people are giving these guys uh, some grief, saying that the numbers probably didn't uh, match up, that the, that if they had put in the 
proper performance numbers that the aircraft wouldn't have been able to uh, to support this this runway. Eh, I don't know about that. I'm going to go ahead and wait for the investigation to come out because it's not really like a Navy pilot or a Navy crew to just kind of ignore the numbers or put the wrong numbers in. There might have been a little bit of a gust factor. Now, some of the uh, weather reporting said that there was uh, potentially up to 19 uh, knot tailwinds or a gust up to 19. So when you add the gust factor to perhaps a steady, uh, I don't have the METAR in front of me. I don't have the, the proper, you know, the official weather report. But they were probably right there on the edge. It was probably calculated. They can't do a circling approach because the weather doesn't support it. Plus, nobody likes to do circling approaches anyways. Um, they couldn't come in from the southwest because of the terrain. Um, so they only had one choice, and that was to go into runway 22. And they were probably right there on the margins of making it work. Now, let me tell you right now, the military does not, we, we are not going to push things, especially on a training mission where uh, we must, like, sometimes it's actually a treat to divert there's plenty of divert there you know you could go down to uh, honolulu there's a, a couple airfields up in the northwest part of oahu there's plenty of places for these guys that they could have diverted and waited out the the weather um so i don't think they were negligent i i can't imagine they were negligent or just like trying to push the numbers to get into uh kaneohe bay um so I am going to go ahead and anticipate, I'm going to give them the benefit of that, that the numbers did support landing on runway 22, even with a little bit of a tailwind, even with a little bit of gust factor. The runway was wet. Um, I can only imagine, there's very actually very little information on this airfield uh, available, even the instrument approaches aren't publicly uh, published. So uh, I, am, I would imagine that with the weather there in, in Hawaii, always raining, that the runway was grooved. Um, so a lot of the water would disperse off the runway. But it was wet, it was windy, it was gusty, um, and at this point, it really only takes just a slight miscalculation, maybe just a couple knots over, to uh, to really extend those landing distances. And uh, again, 7,700 feet, not particularly short, not particularly long, but whatever happened in these conditions, um, they, they overran the runway. Um, now, it is up in the air still, whether well, it's in the water, it's not up in the air. It's in the water still, uh, whether this aircraft will be able to be salvaged or not. It's $200 million aircraft, right? It's a surveillance aircraft, anti-submarine warfare. Yeah, I'll let all of you guys insert all of the jokes about having to be in the water to search for submarines. hey -o. Um But uh, it's not a inexpensive aircraft, so to be determined whether or not this aircraft will be salvaged or not or written off um, if it is written off this would be the first write-off of a p8 poseidon um, but most importantly like we said you know thankfully the crew is safe and um i would love to get some of the other guys uh takes on this um see see what your thoughts are on it well I'll tell you what, I was just looking up the uh, list price of these. I mean, obviously, this is probably not what they paid for them, but the Royal Air Force not too long ago purchased uh, a P-8 maritime aircraft. And apparently the, the kind of the book price of these, which, as we know, is not what the, these people pay, but it works out at about £250 million um, pounds for one of these aircraft. That's a very well, you know, fancy the, uh... kit. Yeah, the, the, the P-8 is basically, a, it's a 737 airframe, so in terms of, uh, you know, flying it and landing it, it's uh, something, you know, if you're trained to fly a 737, it's not like it's a particularly difficult aircraft to fly, and I suspect the 
airframe could probably be salvaged, but there is so much electronic equipment yeah. in there that if it got damaged by salt water, yeah. who knows what's going to happen to it. Very yeah, well, I'm just reading in the chat room, <laughs> just reading the uh, the comment that Mark has said in the chat, and thankfully everyone is okay. If that happened at Lossiemouth, then the golf course would need some serious uh, pitch mark repairs. <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine that would be the case, yeah. Uh, going back to what we were talking about earlier, by the way, I, I just realised I'd had a message uh, around about nine minutes ago from Mr Warner. It says, they're all wrong. Fairfoot is the best place to spot. <laughs> Well, that's because it's on his doorstep. <laughs> I don't think he's got anything to do with that, to be fair, because we, we know Mr. Warner will travel. <laughs> not, only will, not only will Mr. Warner travel, he'll get up at some ridiculous hour in the early hours of the morning to yeah. take video and pictures of uh, B2s. I think it was the last one I think it was he, he Absolutely. posted. He's, yeah. he's, he's dedicated to his passion, which is he a is. marvellous thing. Yeah. But yeah. he does take some damn good photos. He certainly does. He certainly does. Yeah. So next one up in a military segment for this week is another one uh, brought to us this week by the awesome Armando uh, from hurlbert.af.mil. And this one is all about uh, U-28A cruise. Well, this next military story... Now, I don't usually read uh, stories verbatim, but uh, this is a crew from Hurlbert Field, Florida... Uh, it's in Northwest Florida. It's the Panhandle. It's actually the home of Air Force Special Operations, the headquarters. This is a Herbert, Herbert Field crew uh, from a U-28A. This is a Draco or it's a modified Pilatus PC-12. For the first time, awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross. Um, I'm going to read the public affairs release, and then uh, and I'll tell you a little bit more about the airplane but uh, this was from uh, Air, U.S. Air Force Senior Airman Natalie Fiorelli uh, from the first Special Operations Public Affairs. They wrote, uh, the sounds of gunfire woke U.S. Air Force Captain James Ryan on an early August morning in 2021. Uh, his aircraft commander, Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Scott Hartman, uh, told Ryan th uh, from their deployed location in Afghanistan that there was a problem and that they needed to go now. At the time, the city of Kabul, Afghanistan, would fall to uh, Taliban forces, and a group of U-28A Draco units from Hobart Field, Florida, had been tasked with supporting the ongoing evacuation of roughly 2,000 Americans. Uh, two years later, on this last uh, week, this Friday, November 17, 2023, those members received the nation's highest honor for aerial achievement, which is the Distinguished Flying Cross. Uh, the, the presentation of the Distinguished Flying Cross represented a milestone for the U-28 community as it was the first ever awarded to a Drake, uh, Draco aircrew. Uh, Colonel Allison Black, the first Special Operations Wing Commander, presided over the ceremony, which was held inside the Freedom Hangar, one of the biggest hangars there at Holbert Field, Florida. Uh, she said they were ready to execute, they were ready to save lives, and they were ready to answer the nation's call. For its entire existence, the U-28 community has lived in the shadows of recognition, but today there are no shadows. So this kind of goes into the timeline of the day. Uh, team number one was the Draco 4-2 Dayline, so they flew during the day. Uh, the three teams began their two-day mission on the morning of August 15, 2021. As one crew would land, the other would take off to provide a constant intelligence uh, surveillance reconnaissance support over the next 24 hours. 
while the Draco 4-2 day crew prepared to depart for a sortie supporting the evacuation of the U.S. Embassy in Kabul, a firefight involving Afghan security forces broke out roughly 100 yards from their aircraft. Knowing the urgency of their mission, U.S. Air Force Captain Max Arnold said that their team decided to proceed, taking off from their deployed location toward the U.S. Embassy. Um, Arnold, who is a pilot for the 319 Special Operations Squadron, said that the sounds of gunfire and the situation at the embassy only made us more eager to get after it and make sure that we did our jobs. All of our training and instincts kicked in, and we almost did our jobs subconsciously at that point. Now, moments into their flight, opposing forces fired a rocket towards the U-28. Realizing that they had no time to spare, the pilots performed a quick descent as the rocket passed just above the aircraft. Um, Arnold added that the encounter only bolstered the tenacity that we had to try to get after the mission and counter, counter these threats that they faced. We knew that our, our partner forces were also facing. Uh, it really set the tone for the rest of the flight, according to him. Now, the Draco 4-2 team continued its mission, providing overhead support of the ongoing embassy evacuation. The initial flight ended with the crew landing in a recovery airfield swarmed by crowds of unidentified and armed personnel. Now, later that night, Draco 4-2 would be tasked with an additional sortie, providing support for the ongoing evacuation air, air efforts over at Hamid Karzai International Airport. Now, team number two comes in, Draco 4-3, the nightline. So standing by to relieve their teammates, the Draco 4-3 Nightline took off into the night on August 15, 2021. Traveling toward the airport, enemy aircraft artillery targeted their U-28, forcing the pilots to perform, perform some low-level defensive maneuvers and evade the surrounding threats. Uh, flying above Hamid Karzai International Airport, Draco 4-3 served as an eye in the sky searching the area below for potential security breaches. Now, as their mission progressed, they could see large numbers of Afghans surrounding the perimeter of the airfield. Eventually, as we saw in the news and some public reports, the crowd went on to surge the perimeter. Uh, Captain Nicholas Lutz, a 319 Special Operations off, uh, Squadron Combat Systems Officer, said that there were just packs of people pushing onto the airfield. There was a lot of movement, a lot of craziness going on. Lutz added that to make matters even worse, his crew realized that the members inside the air traffic control tower below had actually had to flee the tower. Um, he said that that's not a conversation that you expect to have after takeoff, especially after you've already been shot at. One situation we thought about was that when we landed, we were going to be on our own. Now, without a functioning control tower on the ground, the crews also uh, helped to deconflict inbound air traffic which consisted mostly of those C-17 Globemasters that you saw uh, in the news assisting with the evacuation efforts. As the chaos ensued, uh, Lutz recalled one moment of hope for his team. He said that a group of U.S. Marines walked out onto the airfield with their arms spread out. They cleared the airfield, and there was a moment where we realized that we should be able to land and that we would be fine with those Marines on the ground. Roughly an hour later, that Draco 4-3 nightline landed. Now, walking away from the aircraft that night, the reality of what had occurred sank in with their team, according to Lutz. He said that it dawned on us that they had almost died. It was a dire situation. There are so many variables. Getting shot at on takeoff, losing your landing base, not knowing who is hostile, who is a refugee. 
and then the possibility of getting shot at again. Uh, he said he was lucky to be on the crew that he was on with those particular individuals. Enter team number three, the Deco, Draco 4-3 Dayline. Uh, as the sun began to peak over the horizon, Deco, Draco 4-3 Dayline crew climbed to a cruising altitude heading directly for Hamid Karzai International Airport on the morning of August 16th, 2021, the next day. Orion, that combat systems officer, scanned their surroundings through a window towards the back of the U-28A. He said that he remembers hearing both pilots talking about the threats surrounding them. Uh, they didn't really have time to think about the situation, that they had a job to do, and they knew that they needed to be there to support the guys on the ground. Now, upon arrival, the team found the airfield be below was littered with abandoned burning vehicles, debris, and other signs of destruction that had occurred in the hours, in the hours prior. Now, Draco 4-3 worked to maintain oversight, providing security information for the ground forces below. By sunrise, more and more people had began crowding the airfield's perimeter once again. Uh, he said that people were piling up around the airfield trying to flee. They eventually surged past the breaking point, and all of a sudden there was just thousands of people rushing the airfield. Now, in an effort to manage those crowds, Draco 4-3 assisted with de-escalation and deterrence efforts until they reached critically low fuel levels. However, the crew noted that landing would be a challenge in and of itself. Uh, Ryan said that there was just too many people on the airfield. They were lining up on the taxiway because there was just nowhere else to land. So just before touching down, a small opening on the runway widened and Draco 4-3 pivoted to avoid landing near the largest parts of the crowd. The crew then quickly powered down the aircraft and barricaded their doors. Shortly after, ground forces arrived to escort the crew through the chaotic scene on the airfield. Now, after nearly 24 hours of continu continuous flying, the missions of Draco 4-2 and Draco 4-3 were complete. Now, it wasn't until they returned home that Ryan said that this, their unit completely refle reflected on the severity of the events. He said, it was really when I got back and listened to our tapes from the flights that some of the more serious moments really resonated with me. Uh, he added that some of the crews were sounding more calm than he would have expected. He said that, that in those moments, you could tell that the training kicked in. We were well prepared. We worked well together. And every part of that U-28 mission set is a crew effort. And he said he was incredibly fortunate to and proud to have been surrounded by such outstanding aviators. For him, for Lutz, the uh, award of the Distinguished Flying Cross reflects the crew's ability to be tested beyond their limits. Uh, it means being a real teammate, according to him. We all understood that what we were doing was dangerous and that we made the decision to stay. I'm proud to have... I'm proud that I have a tangible moment where I was tested and I was able to be part of something where my teammates knew that they could rely on me and I could rely on them. Now, as you guys probably know, the U-28A is a military version of the Pilatus PC-12. These are generally PC-12-47s with a bigger engine. They are very different than your standard you know, private or charter PC-12 in that they are uh, kitted out with all kinds of gear in the back to do exactly this kind of mission, supporting our ground forces from the sky, uh, almost like you would imagine a police helicopter. You know, there's a lot of videos of, of police helicopters out there guiding teams on the ground, guiding their 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 police officers on the ground. Um, they're 
almost a modern day forward air controllers like you would see in some of those old Vietnam movies. Um, very capable aircraft, very capable crews, uh, well trained in what they do. And this being a first for the community is really just validation that the U-28, the PC-12 crews, um, of which there are more than you probably think in the U.S. Air Force, are, are really good at what they do and they're executing that mission. And I guarantee you this is just one moment in many that has happened all over the world over the last 10 years where, um, like General Allison said, or Colonel Allison uh, said, the... Uh, these are not crews that are out there in the limelight. They don't get a lot of accolades for what they do, but rest assured that they are there. And these are not just U.S. airplanes. We did a story a couple months back on the Irish Air Corps actually receiving four of these Pilatus PC-12s. Um, they're actually in use in many uh, air forces around the world doing the same mission. So outstanding job by these guys and these crews. And, um, well, maybe we'll hear some more. Maybe we won't. Thanks for that, Armando. Great, as always, and uh, thanks for putting that together. Do you know, it's one of those things, awards, I think Armando should be awarded a Distinguished Flying Cross <laughs> for oh, all man. of the aircraft that Armando flies and what he does do in the flying community. I think Armando should get a Flying Cross. Yes, absolutely. Well, the bravery of these guys in this story and what they did, and it just shows the, the heroism that takes place in our armed services of all, all, all both our nations, of, of most nations, and, and how the mission is the mission, and saving people is yeah. is the most critical thing. And I, I'm, I'm always amazed and, and stupefied at this kind of work. And uh, Indeed. It's just wonderful. Stunning stuff, yeah. isn't it? Stunning stuff. Mm. So that is it for the military this week. Uh, we're going to move on because we are going to have to wrap up very soon. We're getting towards the top of the hour. Uh, but uh, we're going to give away a book next week. Yes, we are going to give away a book. Now, Micah, you said you've read this book. There we go. For those of you in the world of YouTube, Ask the Pilot, Everything You Need to Know About Air Travel by Patrick Smith. Um, great little book. Micah, your, your it's feedback? It's a lot of fun, yes. I really, I've, I enjoyed it. I've spoken with Patrick about it. He hates the book now. He says, it's so outdated, I need to redo it. But it's a wonderful book. Uh, in fact, I think I may have given a copy to Nev many years ago. I'm not sure. But uh, it, it's a great book. Patrick Smith is a brilliant guy. And Ask the Pilot is not just the title of his book. It's Patrick Smith's website. Uh, and uh, I highly recommend that uh, you read it. I, I, that's one of, the way, what I, one of the things I used to do when I was working the overnights is I would just browse through his website. He has a lot of comments. He certainly has uh, a lot of... Um, opinions um he'll he'll rate liveries uh in terms of what he likes is the best and what he thinks is the worst it will, his opinion is is definitely out there he's outspoken fun guy a regular pilot i don't know what airline he flies for he keeps that a secret i think he flies seven fives and seven sixes and yeah I, whoever get wins this book is going to be very happy with it so to win the book We've got a simple question. Well, I hope it's simple anyway. So earlier on on the show, we were talking about SAS, and uh, they were retiring their 737 fleet. So the question for the book this week, 
is who was the first launch customer outside now this is the important bit who was the first launch customer outside of the usa of the boeing 737 Ooh. so that's who was the first launch customer outside this is the important bit outside of the usa was it ryanair of no it wasn't ryanair <laughs> Of the Boeing 737. Get your answers in via email, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, don't put your answers in the chat room. Don't put them on social media. But send us your answers via email uh, to be in with a chance of winning the book. I mean, what, they, so, can, they can do if they want. <laughs> just for the benefit of those who missed it. So who was the, law, the first launch customer outside of the US of A of the Boeing 737. There we Carlos, go. Carlos, can I add a second part to that question? Uh -oh. Because the answer to that question is just too simple. Oh, oh is it? Oh. Yes. You have is. to, Mike. I'm going to have to add this to the show notes, though. What airline was started when the first launch customer outside of the USA for the 737 sold? those first 737s. I'll tell you what, and if you can answer that question, then I'll, I'll send you a military mug. There you go. Blimey, can you, yeah. can you say that again, just so I can <laughs> type this into the show notes, Micah? What airline was started from the result of the sale of those first 737s from that first launch customer? Well, there you go. Not a Scooby-Doo. Not a Scooby-Doo. <laughs> uh, and again, Micah? <laughs> What uh, airline? Sh shorthand was never his strong point, by the way. What uh, airline was started from the sale of those 737s from the first launch customer? Anyway, while Carlos and Micah have a private conversation about getting that <laughs> written down, uh, just so that you know, uh, you can get your answers in, please, to email. It's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Please send all your entries to that podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. As I say, if you get both parts right, we're only after one part, but if you get both parts right and you are our winner, then I tell you what, we'll throw in a, mu a military mug as well. There you go. There we go. I'll pop those uh, questions, I should say. Uh, Mike, are you going to have to message me that answer? Uh, I'll pop those. I'll After pop the show, those. I'll tell you who it is, and you'll okay. know who it is, and you'll know one of the flight attendants from that airline as well. Oh, oh okay. Fair enough. Uh, oh, okay. I think I know who you're going to... Anyway. I think you do. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, answers by uh, the email address, as always. <laughs> anyway, before we wrap up the show... Uh, we're going to have a quick uh, chat with, uh, well, chat with our guests tonight, uh, both our guests tonight. Andy, obviously, Andy, you're uh, not so much, you're flying so much now, but you're doing a lot of stuff in the background, aren't you, with the uh, particular role you're doing now? Yes, yeah. <clears throat> I'm mainly desk-based nowadays in the training department, spending all my time designing uh, simulators for uh, pilots of the airline that I work at. It's very nice. It's good. It's a nice change. I still fly. When I want to, which is good. Yeah, I think you, you're at that stage now, Andy, where you can kind of dictate it to when and where you Ooh, fly I don't know to. If he could, I don't know if he could do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, within within reason, yes, I can save the sort of length of flight I want to do, yeah. <laughs> Actually, do you know what? Just uh, the question I was going to ask, I meant to ask you this weeks ago. Brace yourselves, everyone. When... When, because I'm going to say it again, we're going to get the guys on the show hopefully at some point in the new year, but when I'm watching the guys at Airliners Live do their live feeds from Manchester Airport, and I know you've flown into Manchester, Andy. Yes. Do, 
have you been one of those pilots who sort of looks to your left there and waves at the at the guys there yeah. filming doing the live stream? Yeah, I always wave. Uh, okay. Just yeah, I'm one of those. I'm a waver. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> you just you should see it, Matt. It's so good. It's yeah. so cool when the guys, you know, especially when you get like the three thirties and the and and the larger uh, aircraft coming in there, and the the pilots right. are just there waving, waving at the window. And the, yeah. the, the people love it. It's such a such a great little thing. In the well, that's, that, that's why I do it. I remember going to places like that when I was younger and like spotting. And it's it's a nice thing to do, isn't it? Wave and say hello. Yeah, we can see you. How cool would it be to have those guys on and also a live feed um, from their from from Manchester Airport all at the same that, time? That would be yeah. They do yeah. their shows generally during a day, during a week. But um, maybe they'll make it. Maybe maybe they'll do a special for us. Perhaps yeah, an evening I, I show. Gonna, I was going to say as well, wouldn't it be good to have them on and then get me land as well? But I was like, I'm not flying on a Friday. No, no. no. <laughs> no. no. But you know, yeah. you know what we were talking about, uh, what we were talking about before we were sort of off air, is that we have not been giving Andy his due. You know, like, we, we talk like, about... We have to be careful about what we do. <laughs> what were well, we no, talking we, about? Off no, no, no. <laughs> we, 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 we talk about, you know, we have our good friend, Captain Nick, and our good mm. friend, you know, Captain Jeff. But really, we should be talking to Captain Andy. Oh, dear. <laughs> no, yeah. No. If you want to call me Captain Andy, that's fine. I'll never address myself as that. <laughs> Uh, I mean, can I, can I just true. say it is true? It is true. I am a captain named <laughs> yeah. Andy. Yes. Can I just say that a certain member of our chat room has already got his answers in for the competition? Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> right. No messing. That's then. a good effort. Yeah, <laughs> that's award-winning. Yeah. Very good. Lovely. Did they? Did they do both parts? They did. Oh, they did do both parts. Yeah. In my big mouth. Oh well. Wow. Mind. <laughs> It's going to be an expensive week this week, Carlos. Sorry about that. <laughs> I know, I know. That, that, but that is what we love to do to, to our, for our listeners is to give away stuff because that's, yeah. what, that's what we love to do. We love to give away stuff, and that's what we've done this year. We've made a point of, of giving away lots of great books and prizes for our, our, our listeners this year. And we've got yeah. some really, really, really good prizes lined up for our Christmas show, uh, which we are going to be recording very soon. Clearly, yeah. I missed that memo as well. <laughs> But, Let me guess. Uh, it's in the show notes that I never it's, read. No, it's in the show notes. You never read. I know. So, Micah, on to you. Just uh, a quick one uh, before we wrap up, Micah. And great to have you on. I'll take it. Uh, you've got a, a busy weekend lined up. Well, yeah. In fact, uh, you know, you. I got the. Uh, I got the message. I got the memo about the Christmas show, and I've actually had my Christmas story written probably since July but I haven't recorded it yet. So that's what's happening over the weekend. I got to record my Christmas story for the Christmas show. And I'm looking forward to that and getting that to you. Uh, also, I've been really busy with the, with the airplane geeks. I've been co-hosting with them uh, the past couple of weeks. And of course, uh, you know, Brian and I do uh, the journey is a reward podcast. And I think Nev mentioned it right after he was on, but um, our best guest so far was Sir Neville Bounds, uh, and we had him on uh, episode 55 and uh, talked about all of his history of flying and why he loves 1A, and there are reasons, and uh, why he loves BA, and 
even his Concord memory, Concord memories. Yeah. So uh, mm. it was a wonderful show. And, you know, talking with Nev, you guys are lucky you get to speak with him every week. But Brian and I only get him every so often. And boy, it was a fun show. Uh, I highly recommend you give that a listen. We have fun with him. Indeed, indeed. Uh, just quickly, by the way, we'll just whiz through the social media, uh, if okay. we may. In fact, I'll tell you yep. what, I'll do that, shall I? Because I, I, I haven't done it for a long time. Uh, you can uh, get in touch with Carlos. Carlos takes care of our social media channels I've got it these here. days. He's got it right in front of him. You can send a WhatsApp to plus four four seven five seven. Uh, two two four nine one six six. That's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. You can also get in touch with us via social media, all the usual channels, including X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it. Plain Talking UK is the handle that you're looking for. The email address uh, if you want to send some stuff into us or to get involved in the competition that Carlos uh, was talking about earlier. Podcast at plain talking uk.com. And don't forget, of course, our wonderful website due for a refresh over Christmas exciting times uh it's uh, plaintalkinguk.com where you can also take yourself to our little shop you can treat yourself to t-shirts and mugs a perfect cheeky little christmas gift yes and you know what happens when you cross x with twitter right you get zitter ew ew <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly how i feel about it and on that bombshell it's time that's... to say goodbye <laughs> I know, that is where we're going to bring 481, 481 to a close. Oh, my word. We're getting so much closer to the 500 now. Anyway, I'm going to say a big thanks to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room this evening. Everyone in there. Great to see you all in there. And as I said, Sturman's already got his answer in, guys. You have to be quick. Uh, don't forget to tune in next week to the show. We'll be back here at uh, 7 o'clock. Hopefully, I'm going to be in charge next Friday because Matt is away. So, fingers crossed. I'm in London. I will press the right buttons, and I may press something correctly. Well, you never know. Oh, and there's one more thing that needs to be said a little early, but it needs to be spoken on this show, and that is happy birthday, Matt. Oh, yes. Next week, big birthday boy. I know. He's he's already happy had birthday. Gifts. Happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday to you. <laughs> to you. Well, yes. I mean, I mean to be fair, literally everybody from the PTUK team forgot my birthday last year, apart from Micah. Micah was literally the only person that remembered last year. <laughs> I haven't this year. You haven't this year. No, well done you. Yes, it's a So I have a reminder you. set up. It's yeah, called yes, Gemma. Yeah, I was going to say, it's called your wife. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but yes, yes. But indeed. I'm, I'm even, rubbish at everything else. Even yeah. my best friend forgot last year. So it was quite a, quite a, it wasn't the best birthday last year, I'll be honest with you. But it was saved by the legend that is Uncle Mike. <laughs> you know who loves you. Absolutely. Matt, Matt's yeah. already drunk his birthday present. I have, to be fair. <laughs> I really have. Yeah, cheers, everyone. Uh, yes. There we go. Yeah. Uh, available online, bombshell. by the way, Ampersand Brewery. They do them in tins. I can strongly recommend the uh, Biden and also the um, the uh, lime and mango. It was very nice. Mm. Andy is recoiling at the mere thought. <laughs> and we will be back next Friday. Oh, I will be back next Friday, fingers crossed, mm. hopefully, on the show. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you all for listening to the show, including our audio listeners who listen to us every week on the podcast. 
have a great weekend, whatever you're up to. From me here in the home studio, from Matt in the PTUK Master Suite Studios, from Andy in his pub studio, and from Micah in his home studio. Have a great weekend, whatever you're up to. And I'll see you next Friday. Say goodbye, Micah. Goodbye, Micah. Goodbye, Micah.